Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey. I'm doing a uh, unique situation here. I've got a uh, unique guest, and we're doing sort of a bonus podcast because I think it's that time of the year when people are trying to figure out what they can potentially do to legally reduce their taxes. And if you're in uh, the accredited investor group, you've heard us talking about various options such as oil and gas, again, um, 100% depreciation there. Uh, you heard our informational webinar on conservation easements, whether you want to participate in something like that or not. Um, by the way, I should point out, you should uh, join Investor Club if you haven't to get this kind of information. Uh, we're only focusing on stuff that is specific to accredited investors. So um, that is that. Now, one of the ways um, that I think is the purest and uh, probably the best way to get depreciation that's been a long, around for a long time is through, uh, is through depreciation in real estate. Obviously, this is been around forever. It's why, uh, you know, real estate investors generally have the luxury of having significantly less tax burden uh, than their peers. Um, I wanted to bring on a guest today uh, named uh, David Brazell, who is a CPA, uh, part of uh, Brazell and Associates. And he is an expert uh, amongst in, in other areas. He's, a, he's an expert in the area of cost segregation analysis. And this is something that is applicable not only to those who own property that by themselves, um, but you see we've done cost segregation analysis and bonus depreciation on several of our apartment buildings within the investor group. But what I wanted to talk to David about today um, was, you know, just breaking down what exactly cost segregation is uh, and, you know, some concepts around bonus depreciation. Um, a little bit of context here. I own a couple of houses in Illinois. Uh, I didn't buy them recently, so it was not, you know, it was not after this bonus depreciation rule. And it hadn't really even occurred to me uh, to do cost segregation analysis on them because they're houses, right? I usually think of doing cost segregation analysis on apartment buildings. And um, I don't know why I didn't even think about it. It just seemed like it was probably going to be too expensive to make sense. But Anyway, somebody uh, told me, you know, this guy, David uh, Rizal, um, in, in our Wealth Formula Network group, he does these things on homes. He's very reasonably cost. And then the next thing you know, like five other people in the group said, yeah, I know David. David's, David's awesome. I love David. And, 
And it was like, I mean, the most cool, I mean, people were sending me random emails telling me how much they love David and what great work he does. So I said, I got to get this guy on, especially at the end of the year right now. So David, I've been long winded, but uh, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Um, so David, what exactly is a cost segregation analysis? Now I know you're a CPA. Give us sort of a high level idea on what it is. What it is, is that um, for those who invest in real estate, uh, namely, especially if it's a residential real estate, they, they get to depreciate the, the value attributed to the building structures over 27 and a half years. As for commercial real estate, it would be over 39 years. What we do is we come along and we identify specific assets that are in the building and on the building that actually qualify for accelerated depreciation, as well as assets that are outside of the building, which are called land improvements, such as landscaping, concrete driveways, concrete sidewalks, pavement, et cetera. Those assets are considered 15-year property. Now, with the, with the new tax law that was passed a couple of years ago, what it has allowed is that anything that, that we segregate, which will definitely have a, a depreciable life of 20 years and under, can then be written off 100% in the first year. You don't have to do that, but you are now allowed to do that. And that's what we call bonus. That's that's through bonus depreciation. That's what we talk about all the time. Correct. That's right. And the thing about the bonus depreciation now, bonus depreciation has been around since two thousand and one, but there were two years, two thousand and five and six, where it was not applicable. Then it came back. But under the old rules, which is pre two years ago. Uh, bonus depreciation only applied to newly manufactured assets with a depreciable life of 20 years and under. Therefore, if you bought an existing property back then, you were not eligible for the bonus depreciation. You were only eligible for the accelerated depreciation. Now you're eligible for the bonus depreciation, whether the asset is new or used. Also, the previous bonus only allowed you to take 50% and then depreciate the other 50% over its depreciable life. Now you're allowed to take 100%. So that is huge. And I, I should point out too, like this bonus depreciation uh, is huge for real estate investors, particularly for people like me who are uh, in the real estate professional category. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the limitations for you know uh, the people who have the real estate professional designation versus people who do not? Yeah. Um, what the real estate professional designation is, is it's an election that you make where you, what you're claiming is that you're spending at least, I believe it's 750 hours per year managing real estate and it's also, I believe it's at least 50% of your total hours. I, I'm not 100% sure yeah, that, on, on the allocation, but something. Yeah, there's, like there's some other nuances to it too. Basically, yeah. you can't have another job and do this, but you, you have to be, you know, you 750 hours plus, And then there's a, a few other like sort of more specific things. But bottom right. line is there, it does create a, a difference. So go ahead and, and talk about okay. what that, 
what's normal and then what that opens up. Yeah. And so it, if you do not, if you are, if you do not make that election or if you're not eligible to make that election, then you could be subject to the passive loss rules. And what that means is that it, uh, any, any investment you make in a passive activity and real estate rental is always considered a passive activity. Uh, you are only allowed to take losses to the extent of passive income. Anything, any losses that exceed that would then have to be suspended and carried forward indefinitely until you can use those losses. If you ha have made the real estate, uh, qualified real estate professional election, then you are eligible to write off all real estate losses against other income, whether it's passive or non-passive. So as you can imagine, that is a really big deal. And of course, not everybody is able to, you know, I mean, a lot of people, uh, most people work, you know, a job uh, for a living. Right. And in that case, you're not going to be able to do that. Actually, but, let, me, let me correct myself. You yeah. cannot, you would not be able to, to write off the real estate losses against passive income if you are a qualified real estate professional. So I just need to throw that in there. Go ahead. Right. But but here's here's an interesting uh, here's an interesting concept. Okay, so say you're not a real estate, so you're not a real estate professional, but um, you have passive income that it's not not uh, benefiting from any sort of tax mitigation. So in our group, for example, we have a number of people, a number of physicians who have surgery centers, we have infusion centers, um, you know, things that are. Uh, are considered passive income, but have no tax benefits. So you can use these bonus depreciation numbers in that scenario where if you have $100,000 in passive income and all of a sudden you got a K-1 with a $100,000 loss because of real estate, you could then apply that to your passive non-tax sheltered income, correct? That's correct. So a, a number of people are doing that in our group, which is which is huge. And um, you know, and 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 I know some of this is you know you guys hear me talk about this all the time, but this is how this works in action. Now, um, what I what I was getting at a little bit earlier with David, uh, I want to jump into a little bit more because uh, you know it's the end of the year, and again, if you're not starting to think of different things that you can do at this point, and if you want to do things, you better do it quickly because you're going to run out of time. Um, we're you know we're in, by the time this place is going to be when in the second week of November, and so for me, what happened is I have these uh, single family homes in in uh, in the Chicago suburbs, and I didn't. Um, and, the, and I'm renting them both. And one of them happens to be a house that I used to live in. And I bought the house back in, I think, uh, I want to say maybe it was 2012 or something like that. David probably knows better than me because he did the study. Um, but then I started renting it once I moved out to California. And that was in 2017. So, David, do you want to, let's, let's focus in on that particular situation uh, and, and sort of the general issues involved in my case, too, because I think they're interesting because a lot of people have homes that they may have lived in at some point and now they're renting them out and they're not even thinking, hey, 
this could be something I could do a cost segregation analysis on. Talk about the specific issues that, you know, that relate to a house that you're living in and son- suddenly you're renting it. Well, it's the same thing as if you bought a house and started renting it. Uh, what happens is, is the date that you begin to make it available for rent would be considered the date it's placed into service. So depreciation would begin on that date as opposed to when you bought the property or when you invested in, in renovating or improving it. Right. So basically that's what ha- you know, I'm getting at is um, basically you haven't lost an opportunity because you lived in it. But if you bought it before the new tax law, you cannot use bonus depreciation, correct? That's right. If you bought it as a used property, that's correct. But right. the renovations, you would still be able to, uh, you'd be able to take uh, the bonus on. It would just be the fifty percent bonus, and that would be the renovations that qualify for accelerated depreciation. Some of the renovations won't, and then they'll get depreciated over twenty-seven and a half years. And when was the cutoff for bonus again? Was it two thousand seventeen or eighteen? It was eighteen for the new. Uh, yeah. It would be, uh, it would be uh, an asset that was contracted to purchase as well as placed in service on or after September 28th, nine, uh, 2017. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a very useful thing. Now, for those of you who are thinking, well, gosh, well, that's too bad. I missed out um, on the ability to use uh, bonus depreciation because I, you know, I, I moved out of this house and I've been renting it for a while. There's something else called catch-up depreciation. So can you explain what that is? Yes. Okay. If you, if you uh, started renting your property out, let's say in 2014, and you have been depreciating it over 27 and a half years, as is the case for residential rental property, uh, then we come along and do a cost segregation study for the 2019 tax year. All of the five-year property that we segregate would be retroactive back to 2014. So then you'd have 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18 as catch-up. The depreciation that you missed in those years, you would then be eligible to take in 2019. And then for for, uh, the five-year property, you would get that last half a year in 2019. But for the 15-year property, you'd still have another 10 years or so to continue depreciating it on a faster basis than if it was still at 27 and a half years. The numbers can get pretty significant then because if you're talking about a rent house that you've been renting for five years, a lot of the, you know, a decent chunk of that, you know, is going to be as good as bonus depreciation at that point, right? That's because- right. You know, I mean, it's almost as good. Yeah. Yeah. Almost as good. So it's a really good opportunity for people who are not doing this. Now let's talk um, again. One of the things that kept me from doing this initially, David was thinking, well, I do this with apartment buildings all the time, but you know, I, I didn't really think that it would be cost effective to do this um, in a single family home rental. And obviously that's not true because you've been doing this, um, you know, at multiple ranges of not only single family homes, but also, um, you know, anything, there's self-storage, apartment buildings, et cetera. What is, at what point, talk, talk about when it might be appropriate to do a cost segregation analysis. I mean, is at what level of, of price of a property? 
we have found that uh, anything that might have a purchase price of around, uh, let's say, $45,000 and up can benefit. Now, obviously, uh, you know, if, if, let's say you buy a single family dwelling in a city like Detroit, for example, where you can find a lot of homes uh, that might be three bed, two bath homes, a typical size lot for $45,000. The benefit's not going to be tremendous, but it will still be better. It will still uh, outweigh the cost. So the I think the um, you do a you do a free analysis though for people who are interested. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah. Up front, we'll give you a, an estimated projection of what we think the likely benefit will be to you, along with the quote to do the job, and then you can make the decision. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go forward with it. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, that process is free. Yeah. So um, in my case, I just, uh, uh, David just finished one of the um, uh, projections on one of my houses and it was, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a good chunk of savings. So basically um, what he came up with that it is approximately in my case, because I started renting my place in October of 2017 um, and, uh, David, uh, the numbers you got, basically what we're going to be able to, you know, we, the projection here is 8% of the purchase value of the property. When I first bought the house back in you know, 2000 and, and, uh, I believe I bought it in 2012. Anyway, that ends up being a, a, you know, a decent chunk for this is a house I used to live in. It's a big, you know, big house. It's not like a you know, little house. Wait a minute. Are you, are you looking at that uh, 8% number that's off to the right in that, uh, that uh, worksheet I gave you? No, I was just doing the calculation in my oh, head. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> is, it, is that, was that? That was, that was a discount factor. And I, so okay. I didn't know. If, uh, oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Well, listen, Hey, uh, it's a, it was a great big house and, and stuff like that too. Yeah. So I, I, um, I do want to, uh, I do want to make sure that if people are interested in this kind of, you know, this kind of, uh, benefit, um, David is based in Phoenix, but travels all over the country. Everybody who is, I mean, I, you know, I went into wealth formula network. I asked somebody, I asked everybody who they thought, uh, was the guy and David was clearly the guy. He's very much beloved in this community, I guess. And I had no idea. Um, but if you're interested in connecting with David, if you have a situation like this, um, David, uh, the, the, the website is what? Uh, the website is costsegstudy.com. C-O-S-T-S-E-G study.com. And it in your email is David at cost. Uh, it's cost it's costseg at costsegstudy.com. Oh, okay. Costseg at costsegstudy.com. You can also just email me at bucketwealthformula.com and I will uh, forward your email to David. Uh, one more thing, and I'll say it selfishly, if people are thinking about doing this. Um, this year, I would highly encourage you to do so, particularly if you have homes in the Midwest, because even though David travels, um, David travels, people have them from all over the place. Um, oftentimes, he does cost shares for those travel costs. So if you need something done in the Midwest, let him know as soon as possible, because he's going to be out there for my houses <laughs> and we can split the cost. Right. David, anything I missed out here that we ought to know about? 
uh, one thing to know about when it comes to renting out a property that you already lived in is that uh, be mindful of the fact that uh, in order to avoid capital gain on the sale of that property in the future, you must have lived in it for at least two of the last five years that you owned it. Great. So that's just something to, to, to keep in mind. And, uh, and, and so uh, sometimes what you can do is, let's say you move out of it, rent it out for two and a half years, and then sell it, and then you, you will avoid any capital gain. Right. Interesting. Well, that's a good, that's an extra uh, benefit uh, to notice uh, about that. How does, in that situation too, uh, if you, uh, how, do, how does recapture work in that kind of situation? Is that, that counts as a capital gain, so you may not need to pay it, right? Well, yeah, if you sell the property at a gain, you're still going to have depreciation recapture. Uh, there is a possible way around it. Uh, it just depends on facts and circumstances. And when it comes to a single family dwelling, if you sell your single family dwelling in the buy sell agreement, if you list the assets that we segregate and then negotiate the value of those assets to be as low as the buyer will accept, that could mitigate or eliminate depreciation recapture or perhaps even create a section 1231 loss, which would be very favorable. The, the, and the thing with a, the reason this could work with a single family dwelling is because most likely an investor selling a single family dwelling is going to end up selling it to a prospective homeowner as opposed right. to another investor. And since you cannot depreciate your own home, the, the owner, the homeowner may not care right. as to Got what it. value those things are. Now, the, draw, the potential drawback is that if they're going to get a mortgage, it's possible that the bank may frown on these assets being valued lower, and it may preclude them from getting a loan amount that they're trying to get. That remains to be seen, but that's also possible. Interesting stuff, David. Uh, anyway, it's been good to have you on, and again, uh, reach out to David. And, um, you know, I'm also going to send out uh, an email with your information on there as well. And, uh, David, thanks for your time today. Sure. May I add one other thing? You bet. Um, for, for those properties in, say, the East Coast or the, or the mid, upper Midwest, um, if you're doing it for 2019, it, the study only needs to be done by the time you file your 2019 tax return. It doesn't have to be done right now. I mean, obviously, you know, there could be the, the, the potential to group travel. Uh, but, but the thing is, is that um, if you don't have architectural drawings for the property, and typically single-family dwellings don't have them, uh, then what you're going to want, uh, what, what will need to, to happen is there needs to be no accumulation of snow on the ground because I need to be able to assess what's there. So if it's not done anytime soon, it, then you might want to wait until April or May to do it and, and, and then just make sure that extensions are filed for 2019. Got it. Got it. Okay, everyone. Thanks again, uh, David. And um, um, it's great having you on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. 
The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.